Hello everyone, this is Berkay from D2C Wheel. D2C Wheel is an online community where we talk about direct-to-consumer brands, technologies and everything in the D2C space. Before jumping into the episode, I just wanted to tell you more about the weekly newsletter we have just started. By subscribing to it on d2cwills.com newsletter, you'll have an access to exclusive tips from successful D2C entrepreneurs, weekly insights from the industry and a vibrant community of D2C experts. You can find the link for subscribing to it in the description of this episode. Okay, hello everyone. This is Barkay, your podcast host. And today we are together with Eli Bank, founder of Absurd Snacks. Eli, thank you for being here today. How are you doing? Doing super well. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to see you, Barkay. Thank you. Good to see you as well. So Eli, where are you based? Based in Richmond, Virginia. Nice. Uh, currently at our co-working space here in downtown Richmond. Yeah, would you like to tell us the story of your stolen boots, a stolen room? <laughs> you know, at our co-working space, you have to book private spaces for meetings. And so we had booked a little private room in advance of our call. And um, about 10 minutes before our call, I went over there and someone was in there taking a call. So I had to search around, but alas, we have found a private space. Um, and glad we're getting a chance to chat now. Yeah, no, it's like in one of our very early episodes, there was this guy from the UK and he was at a trade show actually. And he recorded the episode at a baby care place where women actually breastfeed their babies. And oh, yeah, <laughs> we were lucky that the place was like, it was empty. There were, there weren't anyone, but like, yeah, we did the recording there. So that yeah, it's funny. De- desperate times call for desperate measures. Yeah, I think so. So Eli, your snacks, like they look delicious. Uh, I guess they're vegan, they are allergen-free, and what else? I mean, tell us more about your snacks. 100%. Um, our flagship products are, um, call them our Munchy Crunchy Trail Mixes, Absurd Snacks. Uh, they are high-protein, low-sugar trail mixes that are food allergy-friendly. So they are produced in a dedicated top-nine allergy-free facility. Um, they've got about twice the protein and a third of the sugar of your average trail mix. And instead of your typical peanuts and tree nuts, we use crunchy roasted chickpeas, fava beans, granola clusters, and dried fruit. Uh, mm. We're currently selling them in two flavors, the magic maple cinnamon and a rock and rosemary sea salt. So if you're a sweet person, savory person, we've got an option for you. Nice. And when did you start with this? We started Absurd in March of 2022. Mm. Um, so about a year and a half ago. Um, it actually started as a project when we were seniors at the University of Richmond. Yeah. Uh, we were guinea pigs in this experimental entrepreneurship class called uh, Benchtop Innovations, mm. where we were posed with the challenge of ideating, creating, and launching a packaged food product within the means of our school year. So we launched nice. in March of 2022, and after graduating in May of, of 2022, uh, my business partner, Grace, and I decided that we kind of fell in love with what we were doing and um, the problem that we were solving, and we wanted to keep going and, and see where we could take it. Great. And you started this with uh, your classmates, basically, and you started this as a school project. But at one point, did you, like at what point did you decide this can actually be a real business? So within the means of the classroom, we had no idea where the business would go. Um, and really, the goal was just to bring a product to life, something that we started as an idea in a classroom. We're able to recipe develop in our little kitchen on campus at school. Um, and so when we finally had something on shelves, we had a period of about six weeks to actually sell the product before graduation was upon us. And so 
we started by selling at farmers markets and we were able to get some local retail stores around Richmond to um, be early adopters and support us early on. And by doing demos in stores and meeting with customers at farmers markets, we realized that uh, it wasn't just our friends and family that had food allergies, but it was a bigger issue that a lot of people had to face. And mm -hmm. so when we realized that our trail mixes were something that were not only great for people with allergies, but also pe great for people without allergies that they could share them with their loved ones. And um, that, that whole element of making snacking together easier, mm -hmm. um, we kind of realized this is a, an opportunity that um, has a, a long way to go before it's, mm -hmm. it's something that's solved. So we wanted to take absurd snacks and try and make it that platform to enable people to um, snack together easier without having the friction of searching and searching for something that's safe for their loved ones. And I see snack together easier with your loved ones, right? Um, so then my question would be like, how did you get your initial financing? I mean, you mentioned friends and family, you mentioned you presented your idea to various, you know, local stores, but how did you get your initial financing? Yeah. So when we were in school, we were lucky enough to be subsidized by a grant from a, a local mm -hmm. donor family <laughs> that uh, supported us early on and post-graduation, we had to start from scratch. So we were kind of back to square one. And Grace and I decided to open up a small fundraising round. We raised from friends, family, and angels and supplemented with grant funding. So we traveled around the East Coast doing some pitch competitions, spreading mm. awareness and sharing our story with uh, groups everywhere from Pennsylvania to Maryland. Uh, we even went down to Texas for a competition and we were able to to raise some funds that way, which allowed us to kind of re-kickstart our business and then mm. eventually launch the, the next iteration of Absurd Snacks, which uh, launched on markets in March of 2023. Mm, I see. I mean, starting a CPG business, not really a cup of tea, right? I mean, you have to have a huge amount of financing from time to time because you have to produce an actual product, not like you're sitting down on your ass and coding stuff and producing a software product. You have to really actually do the production. So how much was enough for you guys? Is it a disclosed amount or? Um, yeah, it's disclosed. We, um, set out to raise 300,000. Um, we ended up exceeding that goal a little bit. Um, and that was enough to carry us over for over a year. Um, and we, um, yeah, so, you know, the CPG business is obviously very cash intensive, something that you might not realize, uh, early upfront is that the, from the time that you're purchasing your raw ingredients to the time that you're seeing that money come back in your pocket from sales can be months. So uh, you need to be really on top of your spending and your burn to make sure that you're not spending more than you're making so that you can have a, a sustainable business model. And that's something that we wanted to, to build as a fundamental aspect of our business is having that core structure that can be sustainable over time. So, um, yeah, yeah, that was something that we wanted to, to make sure that we built before, you know, getting too deep and, and making promises to yeah. our stakeholders that we couldn't maintain. Yeah, you're right. Um, so you mentioned that your products are sort of allergen free, so everyone can actually consume them. And this sort of resonates this inclusive snacks idea that I saw repeatedly on the, on your website. So, uh, this is, I guess what you mean by the inclusive snacks, right? I mean, you can just have it with your friends and family, even though they have the allergies, it's not a big hurt, big worry for them because like they're allergen free and everything. So this is the idea behind the product, right? Yeah. Um, so the inspiration for the product actually came from one of our classmates. His name was Dan mm -hmm. and Dan had faced severe peanut and tree nut allergies his whole life. 
and he was always coming into class every day with the same seed-based granola bar, um, which he actually ended up in the hospital from eating a couple of years prior because he fell victim to cross-contamination. And so even some products that are labeled as nut-free have that risk of still having traces of those allergens. And so yeah. we wanted to set out on a mission to make that the core of our company, be mission-oriented and um, yeah, have inclusive snacks that um, are available to as many people as possible. So the, the mm -hmm. FDA declares these top nine allergens, which account for over 90% of all food allergies. And so by eliminating those ingredients, not only from our nutrition label, but also not having them be in our facility, uh, we actually test all of our equipment to make sure that none of those allergens are present on anything that our product touches, uh, as well as all of our ingredient inputs are vetted so that we can make sure that they're not um, falling victim to cross-contamination before or after they uh, come in or leave our facility. So everything kind of from, uh, you know, from farm to pantry is vetted to be allergy free and, and we do everything in our power to make sure that it stays that way. Perfect. Um, okay. So then let's come to the marketing side of the things, uh, because I was going through your website and I saw there's this huge emphasis on the branding aspect of your business. And as far as I see, you have this playful logo, you have this absurd snacks name, which is by itself very playful and jolly and happy and everything. And you have these vibrant, vibrant colors on your websites, on your logo, on your packaging everywhere. So did you plan this in advance and what are your strategies with using those vibrant energy? Yeah, hundred uh, percent. When we launched for the first time, we were going hyperspeed in this class and, you know, we didn't have time to be intentional about every little detail on our packaging and our branding. So step one after graduating was let's take a step back and let's get in touch with our customers and let's see where, what would resonate with consumers with allergies. And so uh, one thing that we learned right away from interviewing, talking to customers, um, as well as doing some surveys and some more quantitative research was all of the allergy free products on market um, had almost this medical connotation to them. So mm. they, the products that were allergy free, one were largely sweets and confectionaries and not snacks or savory options. Um, and two, they, while they focused on being allergy free, they did not focus on taste and nutritional value. And so we wanted to make it apparent that our branding supported all three of those things. We want to be safe, but we also will never waver on taste, quality, quality of ingredients, using whole ingredients with uh, minimal processing and uh, also, you know, having ingredients that will add to your, your diet. So you feel good about eating it as well. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, we, we created our brand to be fun and inclusive. We want it to appeal not only to people with allergies, but those without. And part of that was creating something that people can get excited about, something that people can resonate with. And um, yeah, so we created Absurd Snacks. Yeah. It also just played into, you know, our personality as a brand, being college students wanting to mm. just be a little out there and um, using yeah. ingredients that you may not normally anticipate being in a snack that, um, yeah, we're able to to taste make taste delicious yeah i understand and you said that like you didn't do everything intentionally in the very beginning uh, are you now working with an agency or marketing consultancy or whatever to you know improve your marketing or branding game yes uh we do all of our <laughs> yeah we do a lot of our creative and social media ourselves um, but we uh -huh. do have some assistance actually a a, a family connection um, mm -hmm. So we'll call them our in-house agency um, that helps us with some of our branding and packaging. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they've been 
very very helpful and yeah. instrumental yeah great and when it comes to the content side i like i saw you guys are producing a lot of tiktoks and instagram reels and everything and i guess you also have your personal instagram accounts where you use to you know sort of promote absurd snacks so yeah tell us more about that yeah our our social channels definitely are a way for us to uh, bring together our community and create more conversation around allergy-free eating um you know, for some people, there's a little bit of a stigma around allergies. And for people with allergies, it can be alienating in social settings when, you know, they don't, they go to a friend's house for a dinner party, and they're not able mm. to eat uh, some of the things that are on the table because of an allergy. Um, or, you know, there's a, a snack plate out, and they're not comfortable even trying anything because they don't know if they do. And so that kind of plays into our whole um, our ethos. Is that, is that a creating, content? Uh, is that a content opportunity for you guys? It absolutely is. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's part of the <laughs> it's part of the conversation that we're trying to start. Um, uh-huh. And you know, a, a big part of that is just having this people first mentality, where mm-hmm. we want people to understand that it's not weird. Uh, you know, you shouldn't have to feel bad about having an allergy. It's something that's out of our control. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we really want to want to spread awareness and and share that story. Um, and then on the other hand, a p- big part of building that community and that network and almost creating our absurd family is showing a lot of the behind the scenes content because mm-hmm. as we're growing this brand and continuing to improve and iterate our products and um, how we sell them, where we sell them, what we're selling, we want people to be a part of that journey um, and be able to contribute their thoughts and suggestions yeah. and um, yeah. And is and, this, yeah, so yeah, is we do this a- something, is this something your customers resonate with? The behind the scenes content seems to be a, a fan favorite. Um, yeah. Yeah. A lot of the content that we post with Grace and I just, you know, running around and being ourselves tends to be the ones that get engaged with the most. So we definitely will uh, continue to, yeah, continue to. Yeah. Like, I mean, I mean what, everyone says that. Like, yeah. Everyone says that. Like, everyone for some reason seems to start sharing behind the scene uh, content. And everyone says that they are very, very successful at converting people, at creating the sense of community. I mean, what can be the reason for that? I can't, I don't know. (laughs) Well, it might just be, it's similar to this influencer culture that's been developing, you know, people Mm. love to see what people are doing behind the scenes in their own homes. And so if people are Mm -hmm. cooking or making drinks or Mm -hmm. um, even just lifestyle videos, you know, it it always blew my mind seeing these content creators making Mm -hmm. content about them cleaning their homes or, you know, decorating Mm -hmm. their bedrooms. But at the end of the day, it's just people sharing their own experiences. And um, it can be really cool to see how other people live their life. And for, I know for me, um, before we started this business, there were a lot of things that I didn't realize went into bringing something like this to life. Mm -hmm. And so being able to see that from the outside can be pretty cool. And um, especially for, you know, brands that I love and follow, I love to see what's going into their growth journey and how they're continuing to develop. And mm-hmm. uh, a lot of brands like Chipotle, as an example, do a great job of listening to people and then reacting and mm-hmm. um, being able to follow up and support the needs and desires of their consumers. And so that's something that we want to do is just not only share what's going on behind the scenes, but also listen to that feedback and continue to take it into consideration and um, allow people who supported us early on to be a part of that success. I understand. And it's, I mean, it's almost like a scientific fact that when a brand, especially a small one, is associated with a credible person that, like, I mean, people see as credible, 
sales rise and the uh, success of that specific certain company increases. So my question would be like, do your customers see you or your partner as that credible person that is always, you know, bringing good quality products to life? Yeah. Um, coming out of college, being young founders, that was one thing that we were wanted to just be extra sure of is that we, you know, would come off as credible. And especially when we were going into our, our fundraising process, you know, like mm. we wanted to make sure that we had dotted our I's and crossed our T's just to make sure that everyone knows that we are, um, we have the support behind us to make this mm -hmm. incredible um, business and credible product. And especially within the, the allergy free community where it takes a little bit more legwork to gain that trust and credibility, mm. um, you know, rightfully so for people with life threatening food allergies, it's, it's a, a big commitment for them to um, invest in a new product and, and give it that shot. So um, yeah, we, we definitely, we do our legwork. We um, have, you know, other, we've been lucky to develop a network of people that have supported us and we've been able to learn from to um, really make sure that we're doing everything we need to do to establish that credibility. And so mm -hmm. we've been able to uh, get to a place where um, we're able to be a, a trusted source um, regardless of, of what your dietary restrictions may be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Um, yeah. Uh, in our previous podcast episodes, I've been talk I talked to Jake Madoff, um, a head of growth at every table, a New York based subscription company, subscription food company. And we were kind of discussing the, you know, increasing trends in the DTC growth. And we all agreed on the fact that's building a community around your brand and your products will be and currently is one of the most important things in the DTC space because I mean the market conditions are hard people are you know having to deal with the inflation problems and everything but if you have a sort of belonging to a company or a product and if you feel like being a part of a certain community it's not really easy for you to discount that item right so yeah what do you mm -hmm. think about that I mean you mentioned the notion of community a couple of times so what do you think about that and how does that apply to your context? Yeah, um, I mean, you know, it's one thing to have that first conversion, um, mm -hmm. but then getting people to keep purchasing time and time again is can yeah. be even more difficult. Um, and so part of that building community is finding um, or building a, a base of adop early adopters that will, you know, shout from the rooftops and yeah. share with their friends and family. Word of mouth marketing can go so, so far. Um, and so that is definitely a goal of any early CPG company, establishing that community and that in-group of people who will mm -hmm. support you from day one and, and you know, continue to, to preach about it. Um, mm -hmm. I will say we are definitely more retail focused than e-commerce focused. So mm -hmm. subscription, that subscription model does not necessarily... Uh, apply or have as much relevance for mm -hmm. what we're building right now. Um, but that's not to say that we don't see familiar faces in stores all the time and building mm -hmm. those relationships in person can have a similar effect. And so it's definitely something that we focus on and even just having, you know, developing good relationships with consumers or people that are working in the stores that we um, sell in, we mm -hmm. make little bundles of merch for all of our Whole Foods stores. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we'll walk into stores to drop off an order and see someone wearing an absurd snack shirt. And so that's another mm -hmm. you know, part of building this community of people that um, that okay. will vouch for the brand and, and help to support and build that community. So it's been really cool okay. to see. 
Okay, perfect. Then, like, let's break this process into two parts. You mentioned keeping, uh, re getting the customers in the first place and retaining them, right? So how do you get your customers in the first place? How do you reach out to them? Who are your target customers? And how do you, you know, sort of use online channels or retail strategies to get, you know, reach to them? Yeah. Um, since we are mostly retail focused, our sales strategy uh, has been built around a series of efforts in stores. So most successful and uh, most notably would be in-store demos. So we launched with Whole Foods about three months ago, and we committed to doing a minimum of one demo per store per month. Mm -hmm. um, and so as we add more stores, that of course increases our commitment, but we're able to kind of divide and conquer. So Grace and I will pick a number of stores that are in a, a similar vicinity and on a weekend, we'll drive up to Washington, D.C., and we'll knock out four stores in a day, each doing two demos. Um, and each demo is four hours. So, you know, mm. we try and on the days when it's most busy, we're able to engage with a lot of consumers, allow them to try the product, share what we're building, share what problem we're trying to solve mm. um, and our mission as a company. And whether it's them or someone that, you know, they, they know, then they, the hope is that they will either try the product out mm. and see if it's something that they would consider purchasing or purchasing again and um, a lot of times they say you know my daughter would love this or oh my friend my roommate uh, has an allergy like i'll definitely share this with them um, or we found that some of our sales accounts are in more rural areas near a lot of amazing hiking um, especially in virginia there's a lot of amazing hiking and bike trails and so that's another kind of group of consumers that we've noticed have really adopted the product early on um, because of its high protein content, it's great, great to eat after a hike or you know, at the top of a mountain before you come back down because it'll fill you up. Um, it'll give you that protein boost. Um, it's also uh, not a low-carb snack, so will definitely give you some energy to carry you through um, a workout. So, yeah, that's kind of our, our main in-store um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. promotional uh, strategy. And then on social media... Um, we do sell our products through, you know, Instagram shop, TikTok shop. We have our own e-commerce store. We sell them on Amazon, which is are all awesome touch points and mm -hmm. allow easy access for consumers no matter where they're located. Um, and so we hope to drive new consumers through our posts and sharing our story. Um, and again, just that behind the scenes content really seems to get people excited. So, um, but for us, the social media, at least so far, has definitely been more of a community building strategy, yeah. um, which will hopefully lead to purchases in the future. But we, mm -hmm. you know, first and foremost, just want to get people excited and okay. um, use it and as an opportunity do... to engage with, with new people. Yeah. Do you, do you do any social media marketing? We have not spent a dime on paid advertising. Nice. Um, mostly because we had done research about it and spoken to other founders about their experience with it. And while it may have helped them gain a couple extra followers um, or even a couple purchases trickling in, we heard that unless you had a significant spend, um, then you wouldn't really see sustainable returns. And so given our, our very narrow focus on creating that, that in-group, we wanted to focus on organic growth and spend yeah. that um, spend those funds elsewhere and so that's what we've been doing so far however something that we've talked about at least experimenting with so maybe 2024 we'll put a little bit more resource into that
Mm, I see. And are you planning to do another round uh, of fundraising for that? Maybe focusing on the e-commerce side? Um, we don't have anything on the calendar right now. Okay. Um, there's a chance that we will open up another round come uh, mid to late 2024. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, time will okay. tell. Okay. Okay, then uh, the next part is how do you, you know, um, make sure that you are, you know, having customers buying your products? You know, how loyal your customers are, how, what percent of your customers are recurring customers? Yeah, that's actually been a, a topic of conversation recently. How can we track repeat buys in stores? Because mm -hmm. for... Um, in the CPG world, there are your independent accounts where the only real way to track purchasing is by the orders that come in. Mm. But with Kane accounts and these bigger retail accounts, you have a portal that you can go into and see sales data. Mm -hmm. And that sales data is not only visible by us, but also visible by other retailers and other brands. And so um, it's really important to drive those sales in store and be able to see that data grow over time. Mm. Um, and so we've been recording repeat buys by seeing you know those same faces come back in store or mm. oh, you know we'll be demoing and people will come up and say oh my gosh like i've been buying this every week and giving it to my kid for lunch because they love it so much um mm. and so we're able to get a, a bit of a gauge but there's no real data backing that right mm. so it's definitely been a, a topic of conversation of how can we continue to see those repeat buys and so in the future since it, it still has been um, you know, only a couple of months, the data is still just starting to to build. But over time, as we gather more data, then if we do get the repeat buys, then we hope that we'll kind of see that sustaining growth and the sales numbers continue to to grow over time. So, um, yeah, okay. over over a longer period of time, there might be a better basis for, for okay. being able to measure that success. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, I understood. Um, now I have questions about the Black Friday period. I mean... It's been sure. a hell of a time for it, it, probably mostly for the US-based companies, but also for the European companies as well. I mean, certain records were breaking, broken. I heard that Shopify, like a lot of sales was made there. And how was your Black Friday and Cyber Monday period? Yeah, Black Friday was good. Um, you know, like I said, we're definitely more retail focused and Cyber mm -hmm. Monday team seem to be leaning much more towards e-commerce yeah. these days. It's funny because growing up, I remember all my friends always used to love going Black Friday shopping, you know, like yeah. as soon as Thanksgiving dinner was over, everyone would get together and drive to the, to the mall and it would be a mob scene, but everyone loved the thrill of being in person, just trying to rush to, to find the treasures. But now it's so, it's turned into this week of selling and purchasing. Yeah. Um, so it's, it was really interesting to see, but we did get some good sales online. Um, we actually did a little holiday ad in a Virginia based, um, magazine called Virginia living. Mm. And so us and a number of other, uh, local CPG companies were able to get some, a nice placement in there, which, um, drove some sales in stores too. Mm. Um, and yeah, now just following up, we're, we're, um, making sure that we can support those consumers and try and keep them along for the ride long-term. Yeah, I understand. And now the question would be like, how did you sort of align your inventory with the increasing demand? Yeah, um, our so our production setup, we are actually in the process of moving to a new facility, mm -hmm. but our production setup to date has been local. And so we have a little bit of flexibility with um, production volume as well as the frequency of production. So mm -hmm. 
we made sure that we had enough inventory on hand beforehand so we could support that increase in demand. Yeah, I understand. Uh, did you left with any excess uh, inventory at hand by now? Um, nothing worrisome. Yeah, okay. yeah we have. Um, luckily, our product is very shelf stable, and so yeah. even if we had excess inventory, we're okay. still able to yeah, yeah to continue selling it. It's got perfect plenty of time left. Okay. And then what were your key takeaways from that Black Friday period? Because like many brands draw many lessons from this period and they actually apply it to a later uh, shopping craziness period, which is called Christmas, which is very soon. So, <laughs> so what, yeah. what were your key, key takeaways? Yeah, we saw a couple of really interesting collaborations for Black Friday that we mm -hmm. didn't particularly engage in, but whether that be like giveaways or other um, collaborative discounts, there were a number of brands that came out with limited edition products for Black Friday and Cyber Monday, which could have easily driven new sales. Um, and yeah, going back to your point about paid advertising, there's definitely a benefit to pushing paid advertising during that time. Even though it is so, so competitive, everyone is pushing for paid ads. And so you're kind of fighting for eyeballs that time of year. People are much more inclined to spend. Um, and if you, you know, gear your offerings as a potential gift option, then it can definitely incentivize people to, to give it a shot. So for next year, we um, might put a little bit more resource behind that. Mm -hmm. um, but for the time being, we yeah we felt like it was adequate okay. for where we were at. Okay, perfect. Um, now I like last day I have some questions about something rather off topic. I already told you about this before the actual recording. So I wanted to ask you about the Generation Z because like we are both Generation Z here. And I've been reading continuously about how generations that are more optimistic about the future of the economy, how willing they are to spend the rather limited budget they have on their hands, how they are spending more on those, you know, uh, peak seasons compared to their older counterparts. So uh, do you see any evidence of generations that, you know, actually purchasing your products more, especially considering that you're a, you know, university uh, project company? you're young and energetic, so it must be, or it should be sort of uh, playing with the youngs more maybe. Yeah, um, you know, it's interesting kind of touching on the Black Friday topic. We were doing a lot of demos the last few weeks and mm -hmm. when, we, when we were demoing, um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. well, most CPG companies when they're early on are trying to get their price point as low as possible. But when you're producing mm -hmm. at such small volumes, um, you know, it could be super expensive and mm -hmm. so, there is kind of this understanding that your price point might have to be a little higher to start and then you can try to work it down as much as possible. Mm -hmm. um, and so as we're demoing the last couple of weeks, we're realizing that we're seeing more price elasticity, mm -hmm. meaning a, a higher willingness to spend from these younger consumers rather than, um, you know, a slightly older demographic. And so mm -hmm. that was really interesting to see just because, um, you know, you'd expect the the younger folks who may not have been working or having as much saved up over time mm -hmm. to be a, a little more cognizant of how they're spending. Um, and so, yeah, it's interesting to see that, you know, these younger consumers are willing to spend more and aren't really flinching at price points. And maybe that's because they are looking for smaller businesses or more local business. There seems to be this sentiment around bringing business back local and not buying as much from big corporations anymore. Mm -hmm. And part of that is just the, you know, inherent fact that it will be a little bit more expensive. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how that plays out going forward, mm -hmm. um, whether it'll continue to, to be the sentiment around buying from small business and supporting small business. But it also is, mm -hmm. it's awesome to see 
for CPG companies because we really need that early support in order mm -hmm. to, you know, be able to to pay it back and see those savings trickle down. So, um, yeah. yeah. Perfect. It is interesting. I mean, yeah, it all, it all has something to do with the community uh, notion, right? I mean, because growing up, I myself found myself in many online communities and I always found some products or services that I end up really falling in love with. So it all has something to do with the community because like Gen Z are sort of more naturally very familiar with the idea. And as you were saying, like they're supporting small businesses, they're not going for the corporate alternatives probably. And uh, yeah, this is a great time to start a business for them, I think. Something before closing, like you said, you are very retail focused, but you also have your website on Shopify. So do you use any Shopify tools that makes your life easier? Shopify tools? Oh, Shopify yeah. Shopify apps? Um, any? <laughs> yeah, well, we have a, a subscription service that's built in. So if anyone listening is interested in... Mm -hmm. um, you know, getting a, a regular delivery of absurd snacks to your doorstep mm. um, can definitely do that. Um, we also use a tool called Pirate Ship to develop all of our labels for CPG companies. It can be hugely helpful to save a little bit on your shipping. It can be mm. so expensive these days. Um, mm. So definitely would give a shout out to that. Um, we do have a couple other ones, but those are, I guess, the first two that come to mind. Um, okay. We've recently been looking into a lot that help with uh, more customizable designs so shopify is awesome for the drag and drop layout mm -hmm. but themes yep. preset theme templates have their limitations and so if you're not a developer uh, or if you're a founder and you may not have the the funds to hire a developer to build out your website mm -hmm. um, we've been looking into some tools like shogun uh, mm -hmm. which allow you to develop custom pages so um, still looking into that but um, you know it's something that's been top of mind and then of course um so that consumers can find where to purchase absurd snacks, we use Stockist for our store mm. locator, and um, that can definitely be be very helpful. Okay, okay, perfect. Uh, Eli, like before closing, is there anything else you would like to share? Well, as a, a thank you for tuning in and for having us on the podcast, um, we created a little discount code. So if you go over to absurdsnacks.com, you can use mm -hmm. the code D2Cvill for a discount on your first order. And I believe that code will also be in the description. Um, yep. So you can go Good find one. it there. And okay. um, yeah, Absurd Snacks is available at select Whole Foods market locations around the DMV area and in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. um, if we don't already stock in your favorite grocery store, please let us know and we'll do our best to make sure that you can find it on shelves soon. Perfect. Um, Eli, thank you for being here and sharing your like wonderful story. I wish you and Grace all the best and success in the future. I'll be following you very closely on social media to see how are you guys doing. And for our listeners, like remember to visit absurdsnest.com to see if it's available on your region and more visit deedsevil.com for learning more about successful DC brands. Thank you, Eli. Thank you. Appreciate you having me.